Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Lucas Gonzalez, who is the city reporter for WFIU WTIU News. Today we're talking with our newly elected city council members about their plans for the next four years. We have uh, three guests with us today. Two are in the studio. One's joining us by Zoom. Hopi Stossberg, the Council District 3 representative, is here in the studio, as is Isa Kasare, who is an at-large city council member. And Sydney Zulich is, is joining us by uh, Zoom. She's the District 6 representative. If you have questions or comments, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org and you can follow us on Twitter, now it's X, formerly Twitter, <laughs> at Noon Edition. should say at the outset that uh, I know that Andy Ruff is also a new city council member, but he's also an old city council <laughs> member. And Andy's been on the show many times. We invited the three people who are on the council for the first time uh, to join us on the program today. There would have been four, but one has already uh, decided that she's going to be leaving town and we'll, we're going to have another new city council member soon. So I want to start by asking all three of you to just give our listeners a sense for why now? Why do you think it was a good idea to run for city council now? And Hopi, we'll start with you. Uh, hi, thank you, Bob and Lucas, for having us here. Um, why I decided to run for city council now is sort of uh, an interesting question. Um, for people who know me, they know that I've been really involved with education for a really long time. And the like huge question that I got at doors was, why are you doing this instead of running for school board? <clears throat> Excuse me. And the reason for that was basically it. I started to have over the last few years this real um, kind of larger understanding of how the school system fits into the whole. And there are so many challenges with the school system that school systems can't really solve. And honestly, actually, if people are following along with MCCSC right now, they're doing this whole consolidation proposal and they're trying to balance the um, SES, social economic status, um, and looking at that. And that's one of those things that uh, is really good to try to do as much as you can. but. Um, it's really hard because as a school system, you don't have any control over housing. You don't have any control over job development. You don't have any control over so many of these factors that um, that really help families on a non-school and non-academic level. So when I, I was actually, I was approached about this uh, as a concept and I started thinking about it and realizing that is somewhere where I wanna go and that is somewhere where I think that maybe more of a difference needs to be made in terms of um, just those understandings and realizations of the connections between cities and school systems. And I also noticed on the city council, the former city council, there were no parents of school-aged children um, on the council last session. And I felt like that was a real, uh, a real gap uh, just in terms of awareness and understanding um, of issues that youth and families have. So, that is why I decided to do it at the time. Okay. And before I lose my introduction, Mike, I also want to send um, a huge thank you right now out, out to all of the um, city and county and state workers as well who are uh, working on clearing our roads today mm -hmm. um, and also uh, responding to whatever emergencies tend to happen on winter weather days. And a special shout out to the CBU team that was fixing a water main break in front of my house this morning. <laughs> right. So it's like magic when they can fix it without turning off the water. Um, so that's thank all. You. Thank uh, you. All right. Isak? 
I mean, for me, and hello again, it's really good to see you both. And um, thank you. Thank you for having all of us. Um, um, and good to see you too, Hopi, and, and be with you, Sydney. Um, I mean, to me, it's the reality is that when it's within our power to do good in, in our environment and we don't, um, that that's a travesty. And I really deeply love um, this city <laughs> that I call home. Um, before I had moved to Bloomington, I'd lived in um, I think 10 different countries, um, but Bloomington was like the first place that I got to choose to come. My mom worked for the State Department, so um, I sort of, my whole life have sort of, you know, longed for a place to call home, and Bloomington is that place that I found, and I love Bloomington and um, wanted to do everything that I can to make it everything that it can be. Okay, and Sydney. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having us. Um, I think one of the reasons that I decided to run is because I saw this big gap of a lack of representation for my generation, Generation Z. Um, I was recently elected as the youngest person to ever serve on the Bloomington City Council. And I think the two people who really inspired me to run the most are um, Representative Maxwell Frost and Raymond Reed, who ran for Congress in 2022, but unfortunately lost his primary. Um, and they were kind of the first two people that I ever saw that were even anywhere close to my age. They were the two first Gen Z candidates for Congress. And they, I think, really led, led the way for David Hogg to start his organization to help young people run um, and all three of those people really inspired me to give Gen Z a voice on the local level which is where I personally feel like I can make the biggest impact so that's why I decided to run and, let, uh, once, yeah let, let me follow up with you Sydney because you you're representative and you represent district six which is primarily student district, right? And we should say that, you know, every city council member represents everybody in the city. However, you do, there's six of you who represent a district and are elected through the district. And there are three like ESOC who are at large that everybody votes for. So are there, and I, I know, Luke, I'm taking one of Lucas's questions right off. I know, are there issues that you think are not addressed for people like students, I mean, what are the key issues for, for students, people in your district, um, that you want to be working on? And then I'm going to turn it over to Lucas to ask his own questions. Go ahead, Sydney. Yeah, so there are things that I think everyone in the community cares about, but it's, it's more, it has more of an impact on students in particular. So, for example, climate change and affordable housing. Um, Climate change affects young people more because they're going to have to live in the world that we create for a lot longer. Um, and, you know, my generation is a little bit more left of a lot of previous generations. I think it's because, you know, we were all born into a very chaotic world and it's not it's not the same as it was for previous generations, not to say that previous generations have not um, dealt with their own crises. But uh, I would say climate change is a big one. Affordable housing is another big one. I know people are calling me all the time asking me how we can really make Bloomington a place that you know, people can afford to live, whether that's students, whether that is the homeless population, a large portion of those people also live in my district. And so I would say housing affordability, I think it's starker in district six, but um, really it's a nationwide problem. And I know that Isak and Hopi and I are all really excited to work towards solutions that are going to work for everyone in our community. Okay, thank you, Lucas. Sure, so first of all, thank you again uh, for coming on the show. It's great thank to have you. you all here. Um, I wanted to talk about um, your first meeting of the year. You've had two meetings so far. Mm -hmm. um, public safety was a topic of conversation at your mm -hmm. very first meeting of the year. Um, so I just wanted to ask each of you, what do you think that the city's priority should be when it comes to public safety? Um, if we could start with Hopi. 
So I think that one of the priorities that we have to have with public safety is actually um, making sure that we have the recommended number of officers, honestly. I mean, we've been short, I, I think right now we're short maybe 20-ish officers, and that has a really huge impact on on everything, really, because it's officer morale, it's uh, officers having to work overtime, and then they're working more hours than you really want them to, and then it's just more stress on the system. And I think that that needs to be a, a piece of that picture, because if you can actually get fully staffed, then it can help everybody respond better when there is a crisis, because there's not as much as many hours being worked, not as much overtime. Um, the work is spread out a little bit more. Um, I think that that uh, connects in with some of the special programs that that are um, trying to be expanded uh, in terms of downtown resource officers, in terms of um, uh, better integration with social services for responding to certain kinds of emergencies. Um, all of those sorts of alternative, you know, it's those things that like, like I think belong under that public safety umbrella, but have not historically been under that public safety umbrella that we're trying to bring into that. And without having full staffing in other places, it's like those places also are not fully staffed. So, um, and just having better coordination with that area. And then of course, you know, one of the reasons why public safety came up at that first meeting was because there had been um, that, uh, uh, murder, I believe, <laughs> shooting of um, one of our unhoused um, residents. And homelessness is a really, really serious problem in this town at this point. And it brings up all kinds of safety issues for lots of different people in lots of different levels. But I think that the homeless themselves are the ones that are most um, at risk in terms of safety um, and danger to themselves when they're in the situation of being unhoused and not having secure housing. And so that can't be forgotten in that mm -hmm. <laughs> big picture of public safety, that it's not, um, that, that, is, that is just a, a very vulnerable population. Okay. Isak? I mean, first, we should make Bloomington the best place to work, okay? And um, the reality is that for our public safety employees at the moment, um, our public safety servants, um, both in the police and fire and um, in all the adjacent fields and dispatch, um, there's huge pay disparities right now. Um, I, I don't think that we pay them um, the amounts uh, that, that sort of equate to the size of our city. Um, but secondly, and I think this is something we're not talking a lot about, about is that realistically, I think our police do too much, um, and and um, you know, and so as we think about re envisioning, um, you know, what modern policing and and fire look like, you know, in the last this last year, call volume was up like forty percent. Um, I have a lot of concerns around um, the quality of, of data about those calls. You know, what's what 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 um, what was generating the calls? What was the follow through on those calls? Um, you know, we have a lot of issues around um, around. Um, um, facilities, right? So there's a lot of pressure right now, I think, sort of from all um, sides on both our police and fire. And I think that, you know, we should start off with a vision that, um, you know, if, if you're going to be a police officer, if you're going to be a firefighter, um, that, that Bloomington should be the sort of preferred destination of a person to be. But then I think that this is a great opportunity for us to have conversations about sort of re-envisioning the role um, of, of police um, and, and other public um, safety uh, officials in in society writ large right so um, but uh, you know I think I think I agree with um, with councilmember Rallo um, that you know this this is I think to most of our constituents I think a, a pressing thing that we we can't continue to push off right that we need to you know address urgently sure and Sydney yeah um, so I agree with a lot of what's been said by both of my colleagues um, and I, I guess I just want to bring all of our attention to the issue that we are hatching talent in our fire department um, what happens is we get this amazing group of probationary recruits we train them they are paid the same amount um, as a lot of other probationary officers in the state and when they graduate from probationary to a full-time union supported uh, firefighter, they're not getting that uh, pay bump that a lot of other people around the state are getting. And so they're leaving. And so we have one of the most incredible um, fire departments, I yeah. think, in the country. Um, 
and we're, we're losing really amazing individuals to higher paying jobs across the state. There was recently a law passed, I think at the state level, that firefighters can now work outside of the county in which they live, which makes mm -hmm. it even more competitive for our firefighters. And, and you know, they're great and they should be paid um, the amount of money that they deserve and that they expect. Bloomington is a crazy expensive place to live. Mm -hmm. uh, and we should be supporting the people who risk their lives every day. All right. Before we uh, go on, I want to tell you again, we are talking with three new members of the Bloomington City Council. Hopi Stosberg and Isak Asari are here in the studio with, uh, with Lucas Gonzalez and me. And Sydney Zulich is joining us by by Zoom. I was going to say over the phone, but it's by Zoom. So if you have questions or comments, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Lucas, you want to follow Yeah, up? sure. I do have a few follow-up questions on public safety. Um, one of the things that's been playing out recently is uh, the Showers West project, which uh, you know, mm -hmm. just for our listeners, uh, the goal is to relocate the police headquarters from their current station on Third Street into the western portion of the city hall building. Um, I'm curious what each of your opinions on that project are. Um, so why don't we do the same order we've been doing and sure. hope if you would start. Like what are my what's my opinion about whether or not public safety should move into showers west? Yeah. Well, one of my thoughts on that is that if I recently saw a figure, something like $900,000 has already been um, in, in one way or another put into that move. And so to stop it now is to kind of restart and, and lose that money from my understanding. And it's one of those situations where you have to assess it and you have to go, well, is that really the best decision? And if it's really a bad decision, then it's worth losing even that amount of money to not make a really, really bad decision for the next, what, 50 years maybe in terms of public safety headquarters. Um, but I don't, I don't think that I necessarily know for sure if it's that bad of a decision, but that number kind of concerns me. It's like, well, it has to be a really, really bad decision in order to make that happen. I think that there's a lot of concern right now that the remodel plans are have not... Um, like that they're just that it's not possible to remodel that building in a way to make it safe. And I think that the jury is still out for me on that. And I know that uh, uh, Mayor Thompson is um, creating a, a citizen group. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Isak is a part of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to turn it over to him right now to uh, if, if he might know more about that, because that's I mean, that's the discussion, I think, right now amongst what's happening. And, you know, there's been a year and a half of or maybe more of of progress from the former council and the former mayor saying this is this is the the best decision that we could make at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think that there are are limited options on where police and fire headquarters can go. And I think that um, fire headquarters, like they don't have a headquarters right now because it used to be station one and that got remodeled and they don't have the headquarters there anymore. And they're somewhere temporary right now. And then that mm -hmm. lease is going to run out. So they like, we've got to figure out a place for them to go no matter what, because they don't have anything existing. And it's all a little messy, I think. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the concerns are basically just making sure that we've done our due diligence. Right. And I think that, um, and, and I think a lot of times when we say those type of things, it feels like we're critiquing very hard work that a lot of people have done. Um, but the, the, the reality is that it's, you know, our responsibility to, to be good stewards of, of um, you know, of the, of the resources of this city. Um, you know, I, th I think, I think there's lots of, um, <clears throat> Possible ways um, that that um, we could sort of address some of the large concerns. Um, you know, one that jumps out to me is that um, you know within the sort of bids of of the redevelopment of of, of showers, 
um, yeah, the, probably the largest portion of those costs were the hardening of the of the police installations. Right? Um, you know, it's it hands down. We know uh, fire needs a new headquarters, and they support um, broadly the move of their headquarters into that space. Um, but there's a lot of contention around. You know, should police be there? Um, uh, I certainly like the idea of having a sort of all of your you know government all together and having better relationships. Right. Between police and fire, the mayor's office, and all the all the the like. But you know, I think in terms of the finances, right? The perhaps one of the areas where you look at is saying, well, maybe maybe police don't move there, right? Because um, if if the majority of the cost here is um, in the hardening of that of that facility. But you know, again, I think this is um, as as um, as Hopi pointed out. I mean, this is a question that you know the mayor's called together. I think a very apt, um, capable uh, task force to look at, and um, you know, we'll be making recommendations before that deadline, um, and you know, with with the best 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 outcomes of of the city in mind. Okay, and Sydney. Yeah, you know, a lot of my thoughts have already been shared uh, by, by Hobie and Isak, but I just want to reiterate that when we make decisions like this, when we make decisions that are very expensive, we want to make sure that we are making, you know, a good decision, but that's that also makes a lot of financial sense. Uh, I know the police department has not necessarily been ecstatic about this move, and especially when making it making this building safe for the police department in particular to be there, I, I would like to second a lot of ESOC's thoughts on maybe this is something we only have the fire department move into. Um, yeah, and you know, I don't know if I am the best person to speak on this because uh, I'm, I'm still learning a lot about the showers move, the police department itself. Um, and I'm really looking forward to learning more from uh, Chief Decoff and the FOP on their feelings towards this and uh, my individual constituents. Thank you. Okay. Um, and, you know, just a follow-up question uh, related to this topic. Um, Sydney, I think you kind of alluded to it in your uh, last statement there. A big part of the project is also the sale of the current station, mm, uh, which, sure. as you know, the last council unanimously rejected uh, the sale in December. Um, and the years of the original property uh, that the police department sits on, they say that uh, it should be kept in public use. Mm -hmm. uh, former Mayor Hamilton wanted to sell it for private use. Um, what are your thoughts on that? This is a bit of a two-parter. So what are your thoughts on the sale of the police station? Um, and would you consider a revised sale in the future? What would that look like for you? What would you want to see if uh, the sale were to come up to the council for a vote in the future? I don't know. I, the, the, at the moment, that feels a little hypothetical, right? In the sense of, you know, I mean, I think I think we need to cross that first uh, the bridge first, which is, you know, analyzing what what we are going to do with um, with Showers West, um, and then I think from there have the discussion about, you know, what happens to other existing facilities. Um, but, you know, I mean, the the you know, and and, and also, I, I don't think that we should sort of you know, uh, prognosticate or whatever about, you know, the legalities of certain things that that's sort of, I think, outside of, you know, our, our decision-making capabilities right at this moment. Um. Um, I think, uh, generally speaking, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. Yeah, that you have um, to, right? In terms of that, like, <laughs> legal idea of, like, can can we theoretically legally sell that property versus should we sell that property mm -hmm. um, and what other uh, uses might we imagine for that property uh, if um, the police department is no longer headquartered there. I think that the, those are different questions. Um, and I had another thought there and now it's gone. Sydney, go ahead and talk and maybe my thought will come back. Yeah, so I, I would say it, it depends on a lot of factors, including whether or not the police department actually moves to uh, the Showers West building. Um, but I do, oh, I'm sorry if everyone can hear, there's a leaf blower outside. Um, I we, we do can't hear say, Oh, okay. <laughs> I do want to say that in the spirit of the wishes of the descendants, of the people who graciously gave us that land, it does make more sense to me 
to um, continue to use that building for some aspect of public use. And I'm, I'm not sure necessarily what that is, um, but I would have to see the specific circumstances before making a statement on whether or not I would support the sale of that building. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're listening to Noon Edition today. We're talking to three new members of the City Council, Hopi Sosberg, Sidney Zulich, and Isak Asare. If you have questions or comments, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Or you can follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there. Lucas Gonzalez and I are hosting today, and we have tons of questions, but we'd like to hear from you because we want to we involve you in the program today. Uh, I'm going to switch up the order. Sydney, we're going to go first with you. You brought up this uh, as one of your um, issues that you think are really important to this, the entire city, of course, but also the 6th District. Uh, affordable housing, homelessness, obviously big issues. You guys are, we're not going to ask you to solve these issues within, you know, your first three weeks on the job. That's good. But I got to tell you, you but, know. But within the, uh, the first six weeks. Maybe the first six, <laughs> yeah. Maybe next time you're here, we'll have to have a solution. You know, I, I've been around a long time. Affordable housing has been an issue in Bloomington for decades. Um, homelessness has been an issue. We at the Herald Times, way before you guys were reading the Herald Times, <laughs> did a story on, that we called The Hidden Homeless. It was like in the 1990s. And that, why, why do you suppose I wasn't reading? Yeah, really. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but the you know the hidden homeless at the time was was talking about the issue. There was a lot of people who lived in Bloomington that mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. unhoused, but they had a they were like on a couch sure. or something. Sure. That hidden homelessness has come into the open in the last decade mm -hmm. or so. So I guess uh, Sydney, I'm going to ask you first. Not you can't don't have to solve the problem, but when you think about this issue and the, its prominence in our community with affordable housing, let's just take that. Just, let's break it down into that. Um, what are a couple of ideas that you have that you'd like for the the mayor's office and the council council because that's what you're on to look at going forward to try to get a handle on this affordable housing issue. Right. So I will say the first thing is that rent control in the state of Indiana is illegal. And so while a lot of people imagine that that should be our first step, it's not necessarily something that the Bloomington City Council is capable of doing because we do have to defer to the state in a lot of regards in terms of um, legal issues. So I think we have to acknowledge that this is not going to be one piece of ordinance or one policy that automatically solves um, the issue of affordable housing. I think we have to, you know, map out kind of a one-year plan versus a five-year plan versus a 10-year plan. Um, and as hard as it is to say, like, this is not a problem that's solved overnight. Um, and so one of the things that I have been working on, I actually have a meeting with the hand department on Monday to talk about how this can best be implemented is making sure that residents of Bloomington have the best and most accurate information in regard to rental properties. Um, because HAND has a lot of information that is not necessarily public on, you know, the state of various rental properties, rental companies that have liens against their properties, or, you know, rental companies that have not, um, renewed their occupancy permits, a lot of stuff like that. And I think it would be so helpful for the residents of Bloomington and rental companies in Bloomington who would get free advertising from this program to publicize that information and make sure that tenants know that they're renting with a legitimate rental company who has continuously updated their uh, occupancy permits and made sure that their properties and units are uh, safe places for our residents to live and so i think that is it's not the last step by far but i think it might be the first step in making sure that uh, the residents of bloomington are supported um, as it stands now as far as i'm aware there is not a centralized location to find that kind of information um, a lot of people use zillow or apartments apartmentguides.com but 
you have to pay to be on those sites. And so a lot of um, smaller and more local rental companies are not posting their properties on those sites. And so I think it would be, I think this is one of the best things that we can do in the immediate future to support, uh, maybe not, it, it might not have to do specifically with affordable housing, but it certainly will give the residents of Bloomington uh, a better look at all of their options. Well, I appreciate the uh, specific idea. Thank you very much. Isak. I think first we have to change our paradigm, okay? I think a lot of the times when we talk about um, challenges like um, people experiencing homelessness, we talk in this dynamic of like, this is a problem, like we have to solve it, right? And, and I know we were joking about, you know, how quickly we can solve it and all the right, but, but the, the question isn't about solving, per se, I'm making air quotes, um, solving homelessness. It's about, it's about how, maybe I, I'll say it this way. If you think of homelessness as a, as a complex problem, right, our goal is to create systems that are responsive to the changing needs um, in the community, right? And and so so it's um, it's what we might think of as a, like it's a complex problem. And so you can liken it to you know a simple problem is one where you know you throw a ball. I can I can tell you how the ball is going to going to fly, right? I can chart its trajectory depending on the force and all those things that we learned in high school physics, right? Um, but if but but complex problems are like throwing you know I don't know a bird. Okay, you wouldn't throw a bird, but you don't know what would happen if you throw a bird. You don't know if it's going to be you know sort of so my point is that when you're dealing with complex problems, the things that we're interested in are about the resilience of our system, first and foremost. And so, so that, that includes strengthening our continuum of care, which starts from helping and using the, the convening power of government, right, to get all of the continuum of care together in a room. Um, the, the mayor recently called a meeting that I had the privilege of attending. This was two days after she was in office, after she herself went to, to close an encampment. Um, and this was one of the first times in a long time that all of those people that, that serve this community were in a room together. And, and it's fascinating, like that is, that's a simple action that we have to take, but the things that came out out of that, the, 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 the solid ideas and the areas where we need to invest and the areas where we need to work together um, became so much clearer, right? And so, again, I, I think we need to think sort of systems level um, about strengthening um, our resiliency. Um, but that I think the second paradigm that we do need to address is that I think for a lot of us, the, the, the size of the problem in Bloomington, because we, like, we, you know, we've now been, you know, campaigning and, and now in, in office for, you know, two years or so. And we talk about these same issues every single time we're on any show, anytime we talk to any reporter. And I think that because we talk about these things so much, that to a lot of people, the sort of size of some of these issues seems a lot bigger than it actually is. And what I mean by that, is is that in Bloomington, like the average number of, of, of people experiencing homelessness, it's like 440 people, mm -hmm. right? That's an addressable problem, right? right? That is something that we have the capabilities to deal with, but we often are acting like it's, you know, 3,000, right? And, 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 and so, so, but so, so, so again, it's, it's systems level. Um, and I think all the things that Sydney was, was talking about, um, namely about the role of, a, of affordable housing, um, um, uh, us creating very, very strong um, safety nets for people. You know, when, um, when what was the, what's the restaurant that's now um, uh, on the corner of, uh, it was a Denny's um, before. Um, when that Denny's closed, some of the people who worked there because it closed unexpectedly um, became homeless. Right. That's a that shows that there's a lot of stress on our system. Right. And but we could have created a, a, a you know, a safety fund, as an example, to give people a couple months rent. And when they're faced with those type of situations. Right. Um, and so as, as a consequence of us not willing to act in those small ways that were very manageable for us, I think that we're sort of making the problem um, a lot worse, mm -hmm. um, if you will. Um, and so. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that really answers your question. No, but, good. Um, and before I go to Hopi, I want to follow up with you because you kind of uh, struck a nerve with me a little mm, bit in mm. terms of we talk about no, <laughs> <laughs> we talk about affordable housing a lot, right? And that right. is one of those issues that a lot of people. I mean, I, I, my eyes kind of glaze over because what you know what right. is affordable housing? Yeah, right. it's in affordable housing for one person. That's is right. not affordable housing for somebody else. We've had That's right. forests on the show to talk about, you know, the areas that I'm Thank looking you. at are zero to 
fifty bucks a month, or right, whatever. Yeah. right. And and let's also let's also be clear, like like when we talk about affordable housing, it's to suggest like what that 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 housing is a is a good that in and of itself has a value, right? So 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 in reality, a lot of times we talk about affordable housing, we're talking about cheap housing, right? <laughs> like in terms of how it's built and and the the materials that are used and so on and so forth. But that's that's not what we mean. We mean that it is, in my mind, when we say affordable, that it's it's something that that is no more than thirty percent of someone's uh, income. But I think with the levels of inflation that we're seeing in other places that we might have to adjust that expectation first off. Um, but I think, I think, you know, moving beyond that, you know, it's not just, or it may be not, and maybe it isn't at all. But it's uh, it's not if we view affordable housing through the lens of goods, right? Then we're going to come to a conclusion that it's all about supply and demand. So build, 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 build more of it, build it cheaper, build it faster, right? And you say, well, wait, there's also other ways that you can increase affordability, like for example, raising people's incomes, right? And so, like, you know, um, and and so these questions about economic vitality, um, of course, those are also going to go hand in hand, because how are we going to, you know, grow our economy without, you know, adequate housing for people to live in and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, but, but, it, but I just think that we need to think about that in sort of the systems level rather than just as the individual question of exchange. Okay. Hopi, your thoughts on these um, yeah, broad I'll issues? I know. I'll jump in on a few <laughs> things here um, because a lot of that uh, kind of tied in um, together in a lot of ways. And what you said about uh, Forrest Gilmore talking about the um, – affordability and one of the areas that Bloomington really lacks is that uh, very affordable, like zero to 400. And so what that does, from my understanding, is that it pushes everybody like up a bracket where you're going, well, I could afford $500 a month, but the only thing I can find is $900 a month, which means then they end up paying more than they can really afford. Going to Isaac's point of, you know, affordability in theory is 30% or less of your monthly income. That's how much you're paying toward um, your housing. And, you know, when we talk about affordable housing, I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, there are very specific federal definitions about what affordable housing means. And that's one of those, like, pieces when um, we look at our area median income here in Bloomington is our AMI is, is kind of high. And so that means that an affordable house here in Bloomington does not necessarily feel affordable to somebody who might be making $12 an hour Mm -hmm. because um, other very high paying jobs end up pushing up that AMI. And so then, you know, so yeah, we've added all of this affordable housing, which counts as 80% of AMI. And really what we need is a bunch of affordable housing that's 50% of that number or even less. And so my hope is in terms of, I think, getting back to your original question of like, where can we go from here? And what do you want to focus on is I do want to try to focus some on that zero to 400 range that has been quoted by Forrest Gilmore and other folks in those circles as being a gap so that then hopefully we can right size some housing. Um, And while we're talking about right sizing housing, I think one of the other right size housing issue um, that happens is I think that people are um, often not in a right size house in terms of how much actual physical space they have. So you have um, maybe a retired empty nesting couple still living in the 2,500 square foot house that mm-hmm. they raised their family in. And they would, in theory, like to maybe downsize or move somewhere else, but they look around Bloomington or they look around their particular zone or area of Bloomington and they go, there's not really anything for me to buy that is affordable Mm -hmm. or that meets this idea of aging in place. And so I will just hang on to the house that I'm currently in. And so then you have two people taking up 2,500 square feet, which, you know, goes into the climate change thing that Sydney was talking about earlier, because, of course, that's not particularly a good use of resources, um, depending on, of course, what people are doing with all that space. And then you have people who might be, you know, families who might be interested in buying. I actually was talking to somebody at some point, like, they even have a loan that they could buy and they can't find a house mm-hmm. <laughs> that that fits all of the um, requirements for their loan. And it's like, like how many people are in that situation of going, well, this person wants to downsize and this person wants to upsize or this person needs, you know, to only pay $600 a month and this person only needs to pay $400 a month or, you know, it can go up for the, more than that. You know, somebody's paying $1,800 a month and really they could afford 1600 mm-hmm. and then somebody's paying 1600 and really they can only afford 1000 right. and everybody just really needs to shift around. Um, so, yeah, that that's... 
a complex answer. Think about um, you know specific ideas though as well. I mean, we need to uh, de-risk um, Title uh, Section Eight housing, right? I mean, um, I think forty percent last time I looked of people who have vouchers um, in Bloomington aren't able to use them. Um, you know, and that's something we can do at the city. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I should say controversial things um, at, on, on noon edition. But sure. <laughs> but, well, ESOC, but, well, ESOC, we actually have we actually have a program right now mm -hmm. that Hand is working on to help mm -hmm. reduce some of that risk so right. that landlords can apply to that and, sure. and so that you can exactly. essentially as a landlord have a little bit of an insurance policy so mm -hmm. if somebody mm -hmm. does not pay you or somebody mm -hmm. totally trashes your yep. your place then you could get some money back through this insurance program mm -hmm. and they're working on on working with landlords to try to expand exactly. the number of landlords involved in that program exactly exactly and so so you know but um, I, I, th thanks for saving me from saying the the controversial thing I was going to say no I'm joking you're welcome but, um, but, um, Any, anytime that's why you're sitting <laughs> next to me, right? <laughs> yeah, I do sit next to you on the you, on the days as well. You do, um, yeah. You know. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, so 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 I think de-risking um, um, those those Section Eight vouchers, I think, is is um, you know is a huge thing. I think also I want to want to underlie what 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 Sydney said. Um, you know, information flows I think matter a lot. Um, there's a lot of um, it, it shouldn't be a contested question. Um, how many vacancies are in Bloomington? Like that that sort of feels like totally um, information. That should be widely available to everybody, and I shouldn't get three answers if I ask three different people. Um, and so, you know, thinking about how we create better information flows about um, properties, and then um, you know, get that information into the hands of people that. that, that and, Thanks for the and, conversation uh, about this. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So on that end, I was actually I was reading the comprehensive plan. Um, I can't. I don't know a few weeks ago, and there's a whole section in there about housing and housing mm -hmm. studies, essentially, right. and. Uh, uh, a goal to like have a housing commission to look at things like vacancy rates and yeah, to yeah, look right. at things like honestly like how many how many properties are there and how many different types of um, you know how many beds do we have yeah. like and and adding all of those things up and one of the things with housing right now I mean I'm district three so I'm I'm northeast side and we've had a number of um, buildings going up and they're still going up on the on the mm -hmm. northeast side and I know that. Um, there's others going up on the south side. There's there's mm -hmm, things being built mm -hmm. all over the place. Well, mm -hmm. how many how many bedrooms are all those things adding? Um, what kind of design is it for? You know, we talk about uh, we talk about. There's a lot of people that gripe about you know all the student housing and the luxury student housing and you know compare some of those student housing prices to what students are paying at IU to be housed, and all of a sudden it doesn't seem like it's that expensive anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and but you kind of know if you look at how they're renting those. So some of them are renting by the bedroom as opposed to by the apartment. And so whether that's gearing more toward a student or, in other words, a single young person mm -hmm. or a single older person, if they want to live in a, in a shared flat like that, it could happen, right? Um, versus whether it's a complex that is uh, more geared toward a, a a family unit in terms of renting by the apartment as opposed to by the bedroom. Well, how many how many complexes, how many apartments do we have out there that are renting by the bedroom? And how does that actually line up with our IU student population and, mm -hmm. and the needs that, that that population brings to this town versus how, how many um, other spaces do we have out there? Like, I, I would really love to know the answers to those questions in terms of a really good comprehensive housing study. We are tackling lots of complex issues today. and. This show's going fast. We have about 10 more minutes to go. I want to turn it over. Let's do I, I, know, I know Lucas has Let's lots of questions. I'm itching <laughs> to ask. Um, I want to make sure that we got to a listener question. Um, we talked earlier about public safety um, and, you know, lack of staffing within the police department. Um, we got a question that says, if the city cannot uh, fully staff police now, how can the city extend police coverage to the areas designated for annexation? Should right. annexation be paused until there's a plan to fully extend city services? Um, why don't we start with Sydney? So that's, that's a good question. And I think one of the ways that we can approach it is reconsidering what, you know, police, like armed police officers need to be handling versus um, other members of our community, potentially, um, people who are trained in crisis management um, and conflict resolution. It doesn't always need to be somebody who is trained for a very specific subset of things. We can have um, 
different members of our community coming together to support a larger area. And I think that is one of the ways that we handle any potential um, annexation of land and, and a growing population of Bloomington. Uh, but I, I would really like to work with uh, Chief Decoff and the Bloomington PD to figure out uh, what maybe police department should be handling and what uh, other departments potentially could take on. Hope you're ESOC. Well said. I, I second um, everything that that that, um, that Sydney said, for the sake of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna just point out that there are nationwide, there are statewide shortages of police officers. So I I'm not gonna necessarily say like oh those places are better protected right now by by sheriff's department, county officers than they would be by city PD. I think that. Um, annexation is pretty much in the hands of the court right now in a lot of ways and that you know that will play out the way it's going to play out and we will respond to the city the way that we need to okay uh, you know just kind of branching out a little bit since uh, that question touched on annexation I figure it's worth asking what kind of annexation policy do you support it's in the hands of the courts right now we'll let you know <laughs> I'll let you know <laughs> That's, that's such a complex question to ask and when you have uh, three minutes left. So, um, I mean, invite me back and I'll give you my answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give you I'm, – I'm, since we have we have we actually have about seven minutes left. But I'm, I'm going to ask this based on your website because I think it's a good question to mm -hmm. maybe frame how you all are looking at this. Mm -hmm. You're On your website, you have this big question, what can Bloomington be? Mm. I want to ask all of you, what can Bloomington be? What do you what do you envision? Hmm. Yeah, Isak, you have to start. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a, I, a th thank you. Um, I mean, there's one thing that we haven't talked about, okay. <laughs> which is yeah, and, you and guys can go whatever we, direction. Yeah, you want. and we, we we've sort of gone around the 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 barriers of this, right? Okay, but um, realistically, we are we punch below our weight as a city right now. We still, like even if you adjust for the student population, still have um, our, our, our sort of median family incomes are much lower than state averages. Um, like we talked about a lot of these other pressures. I mean, but to me, we are poor. I mean, realistically, I mean, and, but at the same time, we have so we have all of the materials we're 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 we have all of the resources to be a city that is leading in terms of um, businesses and startups, um, particularly as we you know you think about the IU twenty thirty plan that um, that 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 ties together both service to the state, the community, and beyond, and innovative research. Like as we're, we're this this hub of of um, intellectual endeavor and innovation, but a lot of that's not happening in it like outside of the walls of the university. And, um, you know, and so, so I, I just, I, I envision this, this, this city being a place where, you know, just one of, of, of innovation, of, of, um, of, of, of progress, right, of where, where new ideas can flourish. Um, I think that we could be, um, as a city government, one of the ideal partners to any um, GovTech type startup. Um, I also think that there's, um, a lot of potential for us to work better together. So um, information flows, like we live in this place where it's like really hard to get information about what's going on ever, um, but we have a lot of desire to serve and to work together, but most of the time you don't show up because you don't know what's happening. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, 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 you know, I think that our opportunity is to create systems so that we can, I think we're, I mean, maybe best described as a, as a sort of resource-rich, systems-poor, and as a consequent as it gets conse consequently where we seem to be much poorer than we should be like overall. And so I, I envision us being better than the sum of our parts by building those type of systems that bring together all of these amazing things that make Bloomington Bloomington and then, um, you know, taking them to the next level. Okay. Sydney, I'm going to give you 90 seconds and you can uh, talk about this issue. You know, what, what, uh, what can Bloomington be? Or if there's another issue that we just haven't let you get to, you could go there too. Okay, thank you. Um, so I want to be very clear. Bloomington is hemorrhaging talent 
every year because we cannot retain um, our recent graduates. Um, number one, there's not enough job opportunities. The housing market is out of control um, and people don't really want to stay. Um, just, just so everyone is aware, um, when I decided to run for office, it took me six months after graduating before I found a job. Um, there are a lot of people who cannot afford to do that, especially living in a, in a city that's as expensive to live in as Bloomington. Um, so I would say the best that Bloomington can be is a place that people want to stay. Oh, okay. I will. Thank you. Opie, 90 seconds. Uh, that uh, uh, both Isak and Sydney just uh, gave me some really interesting things to think about because when you first asked this question, I thought, well, Bloomington can be, and for some people, is a place where you can live, work, um, flourish, be successful, feel successful. And I think that for some people that's already true, and, and for other people it's just not. And so I think that uh, uh, the overarching hope or vision for me is that idea that more people can feel like that about Bloomington, that it is somewhere that they can live and work and be successful and flourish and learn and a place where they do want to stay. I think that Sydney said that really well, a place that you want to stay. And for me, Bloomington is a place that I want to stay. For Isak, it sounds like Bloomington is a place that, you know, he identified a long time ago as a place that he wants to stay. Um, and so it's a matter of how can we make sure that Bloomington is a place that people are able to stay mm -hmm. because they are able to be successful economically, that they are able to find housing, that they are able to um, live and flourish. All right. We are out of time. I want to thank our guests today, and hopefully we'll have you back many times in your time on the city council. Hopi Stosberg, <laughs> uh, Sydney Zulich, and Isak Asari. I've been here today with us, three new members of the Bloomington City Council. Also with us today, Lucas Gonzalez, our city hall reporter and county government reporter for uh, WFIU, WTIU News. I want to thank Mike Pashkash, our engineer, and Nathan Moore, our producer. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. <music>